And all right, well, let's go to Luke chapter number one tonight for our message. Luke and chapter number one. It's good to have guests here. See, we have some family members of those that sang and you were a good support to them as they did. So that's a blessing. Glad that you could uh, be with us in the service here tonight. And uh, even just thinking about uh, the uh, Pee Wee and Patch um, and the children of Southwest Baptist Church. It gives me hope for there. And, you know, I think I was just watching some of them as they were singing. Not all of them will make it in the choir. Not all of us. Not all of us make it, you know, in the choir. But there's a good number that will just make their way on up there and into the youth group singing uh, Brother Seth, working in, the, in that youth choir, and then it just goes on. It's good. It's good. I'm glad that uh, early on that they are learning these important uh, things. We're in Luke chapter number one, and um, looking at the life uh, of Zacharias and Elizabeth, and a little boy they named John. Well, they didn't name him. God named him and said, call him John. Let's read about it now in, in chapter one of Luke. It says, for as much as many, I'm in verse number one, by the way, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses. By the way, you're not reading a fable here tonight. We're reading eyewitness account of what took place at the birth of Jesus and his life and his death, his burial, and thank God also his resurrection and his ascension. This is an eyewitness account. That's what Luke is conveying to this man as we keep reading now. It says, and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So Theophilus was a probably relatively new believer. Luke is writing him saying, listen, you believed the right thing. You believed the truth. And so now he's going to give the account. All right, now we begin in verse number five. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Notice verse number six. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Well, we can just preach verse six for a while. They had no child because that Elizabeth was barren and they both were well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense. What a great privilege, by the way, to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. Most likely it was, a, it was one of the high days. It was a Sabbath day, perhaps, for sure, or maybe even one of the um, feasts or festivals. I mean, it was a big day. People were outside. That would not, didn't always happen, waiting for the priest to come out and to uh, offer basically a benediction over them that God might bless the people. And so they're, wait, they're waiting for Zacharias to come back out. It typically didn't take as long as it did. But there's a reason for that. We're about to read about it now in verse number 11. 
And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, which means God is gracious. God is gracious. By the way, it had been 400 years since God had spoke to Israel. And so now he's breaking the silence. Why? Because God is gracious. Call him John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, verse 14, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Notice this, verse 15, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. Why? Because God's people don't drink. Because Baptists don't drink. John the Baptist. Anyways. If it wasn't good for John, it ain't good for any of us. Amen. All right. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Verse 16. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. In other words, God will greatly use this young man. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. Please notice the the rest of verse 17. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said, Unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife, well stricken in years. <laughs> he didn't call her old, he just said well stricken in years. <laughs> He's a wise man. <laughs> Zacharias, and the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, and stand in the presence of God. And am sent to speak unto thee, to show thee glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Hey, uh, parents aren't perfect. He had moments of unbelief. He did right here early on. The people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. It came to pass that as soon as the days of his administration were accomplished, he had finished out his week there, he departed to his own house. Don't you know he wanted to go home early that week and tell uh, Elizabeth what had happened? But he had to finish that. He did. And verse 24 says, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach from among men. How about verse 57, if you would, just real quick. I realize you're still standing, but it says that in verse 57, now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered. And she brought forth a son and her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had greatly showed mercy unto her upon her rather. And they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass on the eighth day, they, they came to circumcise the child and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. Well, what else would they call him? Right? Zacharias. 
And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they asked, they said unto her, There's none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for his iPad and wrote. No, no, no. A writing table. <laughs> Sorry. He, he asked for a writing table and wrote, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately and his tongue loose. And he spake and praised God. And he spends the rest of the chapter just, chapter just praising the Lord. Well, he'd been silent for nine months. What would you expect? He had a lot to say. And that he did. My, what an account. Well, tonight, a little bit different. Would you think with me here tonight? I think it'd be a help to all of us, whether you have children or not, but especially those that have children, which by the way, I want to try to preach on the home along the way because we need it in, a, in our lives to preach on the home. And those of you that maybe aren't married yet, don't have children. Just, just if, if God is going to bring somebody in your life, you're going to be married with children. You'll need this for someday. You say, well, I don't think I'm ever going to marry. Well, there's kids around here that you can be a benefit to and a help to. Tonight, uh, in, in conjunction with our theme, love, um, love God's way, let's think about this. Loving children, God's way. Loving children, God's way. What was it Brother Sam said? If you don't love children, I hope you miss the rapture, something like that. <laughs> Loving children, God's way. I appreciate you standing for a good little while. You may be seated. I appreciate you praying for the marriage retreat that we had in Branson, about maybe 20 to 30 couples. I can't remember exactly how many, but a good number gathered together there from Lebanon Baptist, sorry, from Tabernacle Baptist Church of Lebanon, Missouri. Had a great time. Did a Q&A time. And uh, those always make me nervous. Um, <clears throat> so anyways, Angie and I were doing some Q&A. But the very first question was not about marriage. It was about parenting. I think every uh, parent here tonight would probably agree that uh, parenting or maybe even grandparenting, but for sure parenting is one of the hardest things you've ever done in your life. I mean, you'd say that. My hand's up. Hardest thing. Hardest thing. I just kind of thought that once we had kids, something would click and I'd know what to do. <laughs> I really did. I guess I'm pretty naive. I really did. I just thought, you know, I mean, I've been around, I've been around my parents all my life, you know, and, uh, and I've seen other parents. I think I'll just, I, I think I'll just instinctively know what to do. And if he didn't turn out to be a little sinner and the next two, same thing, sinners, sinners. And it, it got challenging. I, I thank God that he allowed us to have some time with brother Troy Durrell and his wife. And, and, uh, I mean, really was at a very pivotal time. I mean, we, uh, Tyler was just six months old and already beginning to exert his will, you know, I thought for sure that would wait till, you know, mid-teens, somewhere right in there. But oh no, they start early. You know, they're cute, but they're pagans. <laughs> so, I mean, parenting has been one of the most challenging things. And I think all parents probably would, would echo the same. So this lady raised her hand and said, how do I get my daughter's heart back? That was the first question out of the gate. I, I was waiting for the softball question, you know, just an easier one. But uh, she explained a little bit of the situation, you know, a, a you know, teenager, maybe 14, 15 years old. And, 
And, and I don't know their story. Some here may even know a little bit of their story if I were to name their name, but it seemed, I've known them for a little bit now from preaching revival there a few years ago, but it seems to me like God had just kind of entered into that family and reached them and brought them out, but now they're trying to parent and maybe they didn't grow up with that kind of upbringing. By the way, if you grew up in a good godly Christian home, you ought to thank the Lord that you had that example before you. A lot of, a lot of people grew up without that. And so anyways, uh, it just really gripped my heart. And, and so I, I, Angie shared some very insightful things. I tried to share some things. I mentioned a book I'm reading called Love and Respect in the Family. And it's the principles of love and respect, you know, that's in a marriage. Same thing works between parents and children, you know, just like a wife wants to feel loved and a husband wants to feel respected. Well, children want to feel loved and parents want to be respected. It's the same dynamic, just different. So anyway, shared some things, shared a little bit about Burson Corley. I mean, that was a pivotal time for me this past summer and round pin parenting that he talked about. Uh, I don't have time to go into it tonight, but he usually, he took me out in the round pin with a, with a horse. We were working with the horse to watch the horse's ears. If a horse's ears are back, watch out. About to get kicked. Okay. But a horse will, will tell you what he's listening to. I mean, it's amazing how they can take their ear and turn it around that. Don't you wish you could do something like that? You know, and but I mean, they could just do that. You know, it shows you what they're listening to and said, watch their mouth. You know, and we were working with that horse, just kind of getting him going and working him this way and working him that way. And then sometimes if we stopped, here's what he did. He'd stop. He'd say, wait a minute, where'd you go? And then he would kind of chomp. I've seen a horse do this all my life and didn't know what it meant, but he would just kind of, some of you have seen this. You ever see a horse chewing? Here's what he's doing. He's thinking. What are you doing? I, I don't know what he's thinking, but he's thinking. But, but you know that you, uh, that you have the horse's attention whenever he comes to you with his head down. It's humility. Well, it's a, a lot of the way with, with raising kids. I'm not saying you get kids in a round pen and use a whip, just pop here and pop there. But <laughs> But here, here's, whether it's cowboying or parenting, the main thing is you got to have their heart. Which, by the way, those of you that are still in the home, those of you that are kids or young people, teenagers here tonight, you ought to, if you've got good godly parents, you ought to give them your heart. Yeah. Don't let the world have your heart. Boy, I, I, I want to talk to our teens here tonight. I, I went up on third floor this morning, really. I mean, God, I don't know. I just, my heart was broken. You know, I mean, I thank God. I, listen, church, I can see the evidence of what I'm preaching tonight in the lives of these young people. That they are blessed. You are blessed to have a family that's keeping you in church, trying to give you the right example and trying to give you good godly instruction. You don't have perfect parents. You don't. Right? Right. Yep. They don't. But you, you got parents that are trying to keep you in church and trying to raise you to do right. You, you're blessed that way. And I look here tonight and I see some that maybe your parents aren't here tonight. Thank God you're here tonight. Amen. We're glad you're here. Yes. Yeah, we're really glad you're here. Yes. But uh, all those uh, young people that maybe don't have parents in church, I mean, it just it gripped my heart maybe in a way I needed. Church, we, we've, got a, we've got a big responsibility We've got a great opportunity. And I want to thank God for everyone that, that helps out in one of the children's ministries here, whether it's the youth department, um, whether it's the uh, children's department, the, the, um, out in the gym, you know, third through fifth grade, or down in the sixth grade department, or down in the basement, first and second, uh, third through fifth out in the gym. I don't know if I mentioned it that way, but the four and five-year-old class, I watched the four-year-olds lined up here for a bathroom break, all of them, out in the hallway. 
<laughs> it's awesome. Before Sunday school. Well, you look, these are not babysitting times. These are opportunities to teach them scripture and teach them songs and, and, and teach them Bible lessons that, that many adults grew up and don't know. I just, I just talked to a man that he said, you know, I, uh, I started teaching first grade boys many years ago. Actually, Caleb Ball was one of the first boys that he had in his first grade class. So that tells you it's a while back, you know, Caleb is graduating this year. He said, pastor just asked me if I teach first grade boys. He said, I was scared out of my mind. Those little bitty guys looking at me. And I was there to teach them a lesson, but he said, you know, to be honest, I was learning a lot of the lessons along with them because I didn't grow up in, I didn't grow up in church, and, but he did have a praying mom. He got out of church and so he missed a lot of those things. A lot of adults miss that. Really gripped my heart tonight. You all uh, in the youth department, you got, you've got a mission field that comes here every Sunday. You can really reach out and I appreciate it. I watched a lot of you doing that today, including just being a friend. You're doing it tonight. It's awesome. It's good. And I thank God for the workers that were in their place interacting with some. And, uh, you know, I tried to do that here uh, this morning. And, um, you know, I mean, I, in my mind, I'm still kind of a teenager, but my, my appearance doesn't say the same. And connecting with a young person, especially, you know, somebody that's, you know, maybe uh, cool. <laughs> my coolness evidently has kind of wore off. <laughs> but the main thing is they just need somebody that'll care about them. Just somebody that'll love them. I guess it's just kind of brought home to me here this morning. Maybe, maybe it's because I've been studying about loving children God's way and young people God's way. But um, we've got about, let's see, maybe four hours a week with some of them. You know, when you count bus, Sunday school, church, bus. To offset everything they've heard all week long, whether at home or even at school or on their phone. The world is just inundating the minds of young people with worldly ways that are, can I say it this way, just self-destructive. Uh, church, we really need to ask God to help us to love young people God's way. Yeah. Um, if I could say it this way, we've got to be on our A game every Sunday. It gets, it's easy to get weary and well-doing, right? It's easy to get tired. It's, it's easy, you know, I mean, you're... And, uh, and that's one reason, by the way, that we serve in courses, just like they did in the Old Testament. They served in courses, you know, like week one, week two. You need, you need a break. You need to be in here in the auditorium. You need to be preached to. But I thank God for you that you try to get into the, some of these areas and try to help and serve. And we need Sunday school helpers. We need Sunday school. This is not a commercial. This is not an infomercial. This is, this is just me kind of sharing my heart here tonight to say, look, there's some young people that desperately need to know some people like you. You say, I, I don't know that I could be around uh, young people. Um, I, I'm well stricken in age. <laughs> you know who they need to be around? Some people that are well stricken in age. We've got a grand opportunity. I'm sure glad we still run buses. I'm glad we still make an effort to invite people. And, it's, and by the way, it's not just young people that are coming by bus, but it's also families that are coming here. And trying to get plugged in somewhere that's trying to preach the Bible and not trying to entertain kids. Um, by the way, they've got enough entertainment going on in their life. 
They don't need more entertainment when they come to church. You need preaching, don't you? And, and they need to be instructed from God's word. And, and so I'm looking here at, at this Luke chapter one. And what I, what I saw as I studied it, it, it kind of just jumped out at me. And it's not necessarily that we're going to do an exposition of this particular text, but just thinking about Elizabeth and thinking about Zacharias. And, and here's what they did. They loved their son God's way. And think who they raised. Now, at the time, they didn't understand all that they were going to raise. We know now they raised, they had the privilege of having in their home, John the Baptist. Wow. Well, many of you raising Baptists here tonight. I trust that's what you're raising. Hope you're not raising. Anyways, yeah. Uh, God, God trusted them with him. By the way, parents, grandparents, and, I, and I'm including everybody in the church here tonight. We are in a place of being God's agents. On God's behalf to have an impact. Whether you're a Sunday school teacher, uh, whether you're a bus worker, bus captain, uh, whether you're sitting beside two or three kids during junior church, trying to help them. Listen, how many times you say listen this morning? I wonder. Look up front, sit up straight, <laughs> keep your feet down, stop hitting him, be quiet. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Probably said something like that, at least on the inside. Hey, can I say to you, it's worth it. It was in the days of Herod. Those were wicked days. The days of Herod, Herod the Great, Herod that, that had all the children two years old and under killed in Bethlehem, that cared nothing for life. Hey, by the way, these are wicked days. It's a wicked day when a president has a drag queen on his, in his administration. That's a wicked day. It's a wicked day. I mean, we're living in a wicked day. It's a wicked day in time. But just because the days are evil and wicked around us, doesn't mean that as parents, we can't live godly lives. It was in the days of Herod that Zacharias and Elizabeth set forth. Here's the first thing. If we're going to love kids God's way, I'm going to give you two. The first thing that if we're going to love kids God's way, we've got to set forth the right example. And they were walking with God. They were keeping God's commandments. He was fulfilling his role as a priest. They just loved God even in the midst of a very wicked time. In the midst of a, of a time when the, when the leadership, the administration, the king was, was a man of vice, they were people of virtue. When he was taking the lives of innocent people, they were people of integrity. Hey, listen, tonight we need to love, love children God's way by putting forth the right example in the home and in the church and your role here. Listen, don't, don't think, well, I don't teach. I don't, I don't, um, I don't serve as one of the helpers in the church. Here, here's, here's what's going on week by week, service by service. These young children, they see you in church. Even if you don't have a teaching position, working position, you're in church. You are an example. Let's give them a good example. Let's give them an example of faithfulness and and, and, uh, and, and just uh, even through the hard times. I mean, really, you think about Zacharias and Elizabeth. They went through some hard, time, hard times. They wanted to have a kid. They weren't able to have a, ch a child until they were much stricken in age. They had some disappointments. They had a wicked culture they were dealing with. And yet they put forth the right example. So some of the sermon tonight is even just to commend you as parents. Because I know, I know you. And I know that you're doing... I know you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. 
In fact, every time I do a marriage retreat or try to say something about the family, I say, look, I don't have this figured out. I'm still enrolled in God's class about being a husband and about being a dad. I failed some quizzes. I failed some exams. Huh? But I still want to keep learning. I want to do it right. And I see you and I see that you're trying to do that. You're trying to put forth the right example. That's where it starts. Putting forth the right example. A faithfulness before him. Yeah, he, he doubted. Zacharias doubted. Yeah, he had some issues. But through it all, God was faithful and he was faithful. He, um, he served his course as a priest. You know, but his son, watch this, his son would be a prophet. But he didn't put pressure on his son to be a priest because God called him to be a prophet. Here's what I, I gained from that. We just need to let God be God in the lives of our kids. And I'm not going to put pressure on our boys to make them preachers unless God puts pressure on them to be preachers. Then they need to be. Zacharias didn't say, no, little Johnny, you need to be a priest. You get down off that stump and stop preaching. <laughs> I don't know if John the Baptist preaches a child or not. I don't know. I imagine he probably did. Was he eating locusts and wild honey way back then? I don't know. But, but God, God specially designed him. And every one of you as young people, and every child here tonight, every child that stood up here and, and, and did their best to stand still. I mean, you can only do that for so long. Come on, even as adults. But you did a great job. But every one of you is special to God. Every child, every boy, every girl here tonight, you're specially designed by God. God doesn't just mass produce people. He specially designs you with a certain, with a certain uh, everything. I mean, everything about you is particular to you. God wants to use you. Parents, we got to give them the right example. Set the right example. We got to get to them early. Setting that right example. Listen to what uh, Charles Bridges said. Listen to this. He said this. He said, um, among many modern theories of education, how often God's system is overlooked. Every vice commences in the nursery. Can all the nursery workers say amen right there? Every vice commences in the nursery. He says, the great secret is to establish authority in the dawn of life, to bend the tender twig before the knotty oak is beyond our power. Howard Hendricks said, your number one influence is in the home. The average church has a child 1% of the time. Now, Southwest is not an average church. So maybe we have the average child, you know what, 3, 4% of the time. Depends on how long the sermon is. But Howard Hendricks went on to say that 83% of his time is at home. 16% of his time is at, is at school. What he's saying right there is, listen, you can't overlook how influential your home is. Your home is on the direction and the mindset of that child. Theodore Roosevelt said that if you're ever going to do anything permanent in the average man, you must begin before he's a man. You must begin, he says, the, the chance of success lies in working with the boy, not with the man. Working with the boy, not with the man. He says this apply, that applies uh, in a partic- uh, particular way to boys that drift off course and then they add to the criminal population as they grow older. In other words, he's saying, listen, it's imperative that we start early in working with children, loving children God's way. 
Someone said to the British poet uh, Samuel Taylor uh, Coleridge, they said, I don't think that we ought to instruct children in, educa- in, in religious education. I think we just ought to let them decide when they get older. He said he didn't respond to that, but he had his friend over to see his garden that was just overgrown with weeds. And his friend said, do you call this a garden? There are nothing but weeds here. And here's what, here's what he said to him. He said, well, you see, I did not wish to infringe upon the liberty of the garden in any way. I just wanted to let it to grow any way that it wanted to. Hey, listen, you can't let kids just grow any way they want to. They need instruction. They need guidance. Warren Wiersbe said that if a home is truly Christian, it's a place of encouragement. In such a home, the child finds refuge from battles, yet finds strength to fight the battles and carries the burdens of of growing maturity. He finds a loving heart, a watching eye, a listening ear, and a helping hand. He does not want any other place. Home meets his needs. Jim Berg said this, parenting is discipleship. When God, parenting is discipleship. That's really good in it, just that right there. Parenting is discipleship. When God gives a child to a Christian couple, they must realize that their little bundle of joy is essentially a pagan. Their biblical mission is to evangelize him and then to equip him for usefulness in Christ. Our goal is not to raise a good kid, but a godly kid. Again, I'm not saying that I've got this all figured out. I'm still in the process of learning, but I want to try to provide the right example. That's really where it is certainly going to begin. It must begin in providing the right, the right example, setting forth the right example, and then watch this, set the right example. Okay, wait a minute before we move on. Parents, are you setting the right example? Are you setting the right example? Because the next part of it is this, setting the right example, and probably this is where a lot of us may struggle, following through with the right instruction. Setting the right example, following through with the right instruction. John needed to be raised the right way. He, he needed instruction along, along that way. I mean, we don't know anything about his early years other than what we're reading here tonight. But, but evidently, Zacharias and Elizabeth did their due diligence to set forth the right example and to set before him the right instruction, John the Baptist would have to be corrected, wouldn't he? He would have to be instructed. Set forth the right example. You probably are struggling on one of those two sides, or maybe both. I want to thank God tonight for his grace and his mercy to help us get back right where it needs to be, that you can set forth the right example and then follow through with the right instruction. It may be that you're setting forth the right example, but, but we, we've got to give the instruction. What happens? Sometimes we get too busy. Isn't that right? We get too busy. I've been too busy. I've had to go to each of my sons and say, hey, forgive me. I've been too busy. I need to spend time with you. I've had to say that to my wife. I'll never forget when I was um, beginning to read a book called King Me. King Me is written by Steve Farrar. It's about the kings of Israel. The kings of Israel were too busy building their kingdoms and not busy building their sons. He, told, he opened the book by um, a famous evangelist that was uh, out preaching revivals every week. And, and, uh, but his 16-year-old son was becoming very rebellious, hard-headed and rebellious. His wife called him and said, I don't know what to do with him. The principals called him and just all kinds of trouble going on. And 
And so here's what the man did. He canceled all of his meetings for the next two years, took a church to pastor where he could be home. He began to focus on his family and began to really instill in his son. And that saved that young man's life. That young man was James Dobson. His father stopped traveling to focus on his family. James Dobson was impacted and focused on his family. And we know the rest of the story. Parents, um, maybe you're setting the right example, but it could be you're too busy where you're not providing the right instruction. Is this making sense? Is it quiet because it's convicting? Please know that I'm convicted first. We're needing to love children God's way. Set the right example. Provide the right instruction. Set the right example. Provide the right... Almost like training wheels, huh? Two of them. Set the right example. Provide the right instruction. Give them a push into adulthood, right? (laughs) Um... I kind of ended the couples retreat in a weird way. I said, okay, their theme was um, the journey of a lifetime and kind of used a road trip analogy. I said, all right, the final session we're doing is on driver's education. Driver's ed. Tyler, when uh, Tyler went to Brown's driving school, his, his uh, driver's education uh, teacher, his name was Ed. So it was driver Ed. It's awesome. You know, now with uh, Tyler and Trevor both driving and such, uh, you know, of course, Tyler's been driving a good while. Trevor's been driving a good year. And, and uh, man, I tell you what, it's challenging as a parent, right? You know why? Because you set an example. <laughs> Hopefully a good one on how to drive, right? Set an example. You ever been pulled over? Yeah, but I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I think I told you one time I got pulled over and it was just about, uh, it was on our, our road going to our house. And um, Melrose Lane, I was just doing about 10 over and turned on Sweet Gum Avenue and stopped. The officer got out, looked at my license, looked at the address and said, you know what? You just about got home. That's your house right there. And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> Two houses away. I was almost home. Got pulled over uh, out in the country here not too long ago and country road. I was going a little bit over and didn't realize that I was on the phone with Angie. That's not my excuse. It's just the truth. And, and um, man, blue lights right there. Pulled over on the highway. It was um, uh, Highway 4, Mustang Road. And uh, pulled over there. And the officer came up to the window and said, uh, do you realize that you're going over? And I said, you know, sir, honestly, I really didn't. And, and uh, just kind of be polite. By the way, we need to be polite to our officers, cooperative. And, and so I was doing that. About that time, this, this other car, I mean, the blue lights were on behind me. This other car, I don't know what the speed limit is there. I guess I should by now. But anyways, uh, this other car, I mean, just flew by. In fact, I told Angie, I felt the wind come in the car from that car going by. It scared me for the officer because he's actually on my driver's side. It, I mean, it frightened me, man. That, I mean, he could have easily hit him and he was flying. He had to be doing at least 20. In fact, here's what the officer said. He said, you're good. <laughs> and he peeled out to get that other center. 
Hey, look, I'm just saying we're, we're not perfect drivers, right? But I've tried to set a right example. I've tried to be mindful of the speed limit. I've tried to use my turn signal. I've tried to be mindful of others. We've got to set the right example. But then when you're teaching somebody else how to drive, it does take a lot of instruction. Hey, slow down. Sometimes I'd use sign language. <laughs> or, come on, let's go. <laughs> usually it's not that. It's usually more that. It takes a lot of instruction. Well, it takes a lot of instruction to help a, a young person learn how to drive. But would you agree with this? It takes a lot of instruction to help a young man or young woman learn how to live. And we can show the children of Southwest Baptist Church love God's way if we'll set forth the right example and then give them the right instruction along the way. Well, what an opportunity we have in our homes. What an opportunity we have every Sunday. You may not realize just how God's using you as you hold a hymn book and somebody's watching you. Some little eyes are looking up at you. They're hearing you sing. You say, oh, so bad for that child. <laughs> no. The, the main thing is, is they're hearing you sing about the faith and about God. You train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. There may be some that have gotten away from God, but you know what they won't forget? Your example. And by the way, uh, you're not graded by your kid's choices. Every child makes his own choices, her own choices. I realize the axiom is everything rises and falls on leadership, but let me, let me run this by you here while we're talking about it. Uh, God was a perfect leader, and yet... Jesus was a perfect leader, and yet... So I understand, I understand a lot of things rise and fall in leadership, but I don't think we can say everything, because everybody's got individual choices. So I say, to the use, you, use. I say to you who are still in the home, if you've got a right example before you, follow it. If you don't have a right example before you, find one. God will provide you one. Look around. There's some right here. If you got somebody trying to give you instruction, listen to it. Don't, don't resist it. Don't, don't go one in, in one ear and one out the, out the other. Listen to what is being told you. They're trying to help you. Listen to your Sunday school teachers. Together we can raise a generation that loves the Lord, that wants to turn other people to Him, soul winners. That's what John the Baptist has said that he would be. And he turned the hearts of the fathers to the children, and he turned the disobedient to the way of wisdom of the just. There's a lot of chaotic living in this world. May God help us to be the right kind of examples, providing the right kind of instruction, and love the young people of Southwest God's way. Let's stand together here tonight. <clears throat> Maybe you need to come tonight and say, I haven't been the right example or I haven't been providing the right instruction. It's a constant job. Before you know it, though, they'll be out of the home. <clears throat> Basically, we're to parent our kids the way God parents us. We're to be the example here in the church, the way that God's an example to us. Loving others God's way. I mean, really, that's what it boils down 
to here tonight. And so, Heavenly Father, I thank you for every child again. I just uh, couldn't get over this Sunday morning experience and seeing some of those young people and interacting with many of them, many of our own that are here t- tonight, but then those that just desperately need some godly love and a godly example, and they need instruction. Help us not to be delinquent. Help, help us as parents. God, I'm praying that you'd help me to instruct the sons that you've blessed us with and beyond that, others that you have given opportunity to try to instruct and guide. Dear God, I pray that you'd uh, help the young people of the church, the children, as well as the teens, as well as the college age, to be ready to receive instruction and follow good godly examples. In Jesus' name, amen. As we're standing here tonight, we're singing page 255. God spoke to your heart. Let's come.